Acts chapter 8. Do you have your Bibles? Do you have your Bibles? Get your Bibles out. If you don't have your Bibles, sit next to a Christian and read theirs. Acts chapter 8. And no digital Bibles. Listen, you're not going to take your digital Bible to heaven. You know what you're going to take? Your leather-bound Bible. That's what's going with you to heaven. Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. We're going to get there in just a minute. I don't, I don't have to be a prophet. You don't have to be prophetic to state this obvious statement. That the last season we have been in has been a season of profound disruption. Anybody would know this. You don't have to stand on the stage and prophesy this. We know this, that this past season has been a season of profound disruption. But not just disruption in one or two areas. In every area, disruptions happened. In, in, our, in, in personal areas, it's been disrupted. And, and relationships and work and geography and around the world and societally, it's just been disruption. And whenever disruption happens, whether it's on a global scale or whether it's just in your own personal life, whenever disruption happens, it's going to lead you to one of two places. Disruption is, if you can imagine that fork in the road analogy, that fork in the road moment, that when disruption happens, as we have been in, when disruption happens, it's gonna lead me to one of two places. It's either going to lead me to a place of deeper faith and greater resolve, or it's going to lead me to a place of hopelessness and unbelief. Whenever disruption happens, it's going to lead me to a place of greater faith, greater resolve, or a place of hopelessness and unbelief. And hopelessness and unbelief that breeds things like discouragement, that breeds things like division, and deception and disillusionment. But I believe that if we were to say what the prophetic word of the hour is, it would be this word for me, clarity. Clarity. That I believe what God wants to do in the midst of disruption, and the title of my sermon today would be this, clarity in the midst of disruption. That God, what God wants to do in the midst of disruption is he wants to give you clarity. Because if we are in disruption with a lack of clarity, it will lead us to a place of hopelessness and unbelief. But when I experience disruption with clarity, it will lead me to a place of greater faith and greater resolve. See, one of the things as believers that I think that we all should be able to answer, not just in times of disruption, but the two questions that you should be able to answer consistently is this, what season am I in and what is God doing? What season am I in and what is God doing? If you don't know what season you're in, if you lack clarity about the season you're in, if you lack clarity about what God is doing, then you will be confused, you will be frustrated, and you will be unable to engage in what God is trying to do and where he is trying to get you. Disruption is unto something. So you've got to know what season you're in. I remember the first time I went to Brazil. We were excited to go to Brazil for whatever reason. Brazil loves Jesus culture. 
And so we were headed down there for our first trip, and it was in June, and I don't know why, but I just assumed that since it was California, since it was summer in California, it would be summer in Brazil. So I packed as if it was summer, did not check the weather app. We flew down to Brazil and quickly found out it wasn't summer, it was raining, it was cold, and I was unprepared and did not pack properly. So many believers that I run into are shivering freezing, confused, and frustrated why they're so cold because they're wearing a tank top, shorts, and sandals in the middle of winter. They don't know what season they're in. So many believers I know are sweating profusely and are miserable and hot because they're wearing the biggest jacket, pants, boots, gloves, beanie right in the middle of August in Tulsa. And they're complaining and wondering why they're so miserable because they don't know what season it is. They lack clarity on the season. They lack clarity on what God is doing in that season. So I believe this. I believe that, that, the, that the word of the hour right now prophetically is this. God wants to give you clarity in the midst of disruption because he wants to use disruption to get you to a place of greater faith and greater resolve rather than hopelessness and unbelief. Acts chapter 8, I believe, is such an incredible picture because the church in Jerusalem experienced it in a much similar way that we've experienced disruption. When Jesus ascended, he told the disciples to go and wait for him, to old school, to go and tarry. And to go and wait for him. And so they did, they went. And if you grew up in church, you know this story. They were in the upper room. And in Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit is poured out. And the church in the earth is birthed in Jerusalem. And for the next five years, the church in Jerusalem experienced an exhilarating time to be a part of the church in Jerusalem. It wasn't all perfect, but it was incredible. Signs and wonders were breaking out everywhere, miracles and healings, revelatory teaching, thousands were being added to the church, deep fellowship was happening as they were meeting in homes and praying and breaking bread together for five years. And then in Acts chapter 7, disruption happens. In Acts chapter 7, the first martyr, Stephen, is killed. And the church begins to experience intense persecution under Saul. For five years, the church was an exhilarating time. And then all of a sudden, Acts chapter 7, Stephen is martyred. Intense persecution comes and disruption enters the scene. We pick this up in Acts chapter 8, verse 1. Now Saul was consenting, talking about Stephen, to his death. At that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison." Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. And the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did for unclean spirits, crying with a loud voice, came out of many who were possessed, many who were paralyzed and lame were healed, and there was great joy 
in that city. If you're taking notes, I'm going to give you three things that I believe God is doing in the midst of disruption in your life. Jerusalem, the church of Jerusalem experienced disruption, but it was under something. And this is what I believe God is doing to get you to a place of greater faith and greater resolve in the midst of disruption. Number one, it's this, and you can write this down, is that God is giving you clarity in his storyline. See, I don't know if you know this, but there is a storyline of God that is unfolding in the earth. There is a storyline of God that is unfolding in your life. There is a storyline of God that is unfolding in your family and in your city. And God wants to give you clarity of what that storyline is. If you don't have clarity, you will be confused and you will be frustrated. Acts chapter 8-1, if you look at Acts chapter 8-1, and you don't understand the storyline of God that was unfolding in the book of Acts, you will be confused. We look at a church that's thriving, and in Acts chapter 8-1, it looks bleak. They're persecuted. They're scattered. This wasn't just about persecution. This was about church being disrupted. These are people that were meeting home to home. These were their friends and their family members. And how they did church just got disrupted. And if we look at Acts 8-1, we won't understand it because Acts 8-1 is in the middle of the story. Acts 8-1 doesn't sit by itself. See, what you have to understand is this. Acts 8-1 only makes sense if you understand. It's, you can't join the story middle of the way through without understanding the beginning. Acts 8-1 is connected to Acts 1-8. If you don't know the storyline of God, you're looking at Acts 8 and you're saying, what's going on? I don't understand. Because there's a storyline that's been unfolding and Acts 8-1 is connected to Acts 1-8. Acts 1-8 is this, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and here it is, and you should be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. See, Acts 8.1 was simply leading to the second act of evangelism because disruption in Jerusalem was about to lead to revival in Samaria. See, too many believers, they don't know the storyline of God, and so they're confused and they're frustrated in this season, and, and their disruption leads them to a place of hopelessness and unbelief rather than clarity that leads them to greater faith. You ever joined a story halfway through and were confused? I remember landing in Australia, first, one of the first times I went to Australia, jet lagged, tired, me and a friend get to the hotel room at four o'clock, we're gonna stay up, we're gonna stay up till nine o'clock, I'm doing this. We're in a hotel room, we're like, let's watch some TV, we turn on the television, and there's a Harry Potter movie on. Now, I hadn't seen any Harry Potter movies, not, not out of conviction, I just hadn't seen any of them. But we're like, all right, Harry Potter, let's watch Harry Potter. The problem was, it was like the seventh movie. <laughs> so I'm like, jet lagged, tired, I'm in the hotel room, watching the seventh movie of Harry Potter, after watching none of them. And all I remember was, I was so confused. <laughs> I was just utterly confused. I'm like, what is happening right now? Like, what is going on? Why does that guy not have a nose? 
What, like, what's happening? Because I run into believers, and this is what I feel like. I'm like, oh my gosh, you're watching the seventh movie of Harry Potter jet-lagged right now because you have no clue what God's doing in the earth. You have no clue that Acts 8-1, the disruption in Acts 8-1, is actually about to lead to revival in Samaria. We have to, see, there, I'm gonna talk to you about this, but there are two narratives happening in the earth. You'd better make sure you know the narrative of God. For too many of us, we know what the enemy is doing more than we know what God is doing. And we wonder why we're in place of hopelessness and unbelief. First thing is this, is God wants to give you clarity in his storyline that's unfolding. Not just in the earth, but in your own life. Second thing is this, is God wants to ignite, or I do even say this, God wants to reignite hope in your life. I'm going to talk about this, but, but when clarity of the storyline comes, what it does is it ignites hope, which leads me to faith. Let me read this, Hebrews chapter 11, a verse you would know, but Hebrews chapter 11 says this. Now, faith is the confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This would be, the definition of hope would be this, a confident expectation and desire for something good in the future. In other words, when I, when I look to the future, do I have a confident expectation of good or do I have dread? Hope is I look to the future and have a confident expectation of good, not dread or worry. Here's why hope's so important, and you have to hear me on this. The enemy is after your hope. Can I, can I make this even? He is at war to get your hope. He wants your hope. And he will use times of disruption when there is a lack of clarity to steal your hope. And the reason why he's after your hope, because hope is... Hope is like the soil which faith grows out of. Or, or what I would say is this, hope is the pilot light which allows faith to be ignited. We moved into a new home about four years ago and we've had wood burning stoves, but we moved into a home that now had a gas stove. I don't even know how to work it really. And I couldn't figure it out. And so I kept trying to light the pilot light and it would stay on for a second and then go out. And I could not figure out how to keep this pilot light on. So I finally had to like call an actual technician who came over to my house and showed me how not just to light it, but to keep it on. Because if that pilot light goes off, the fire can't be ignited. This, this is what Hebrews 11 one is saying, is that faith is the confidence, the substance of what we hope for. So as long as hope is alive, faith can be ignited. And our job is to keep that, that pilot light of hope burning, to continue to, to, to keep that pilot light of hope. But hope comes from knowing the storyline of God. There are two narratives. I don't know if you know this. The enemy has a plan, and God has a plan. The enemy has a plan for your life, God has a plan for your life. There are two narratives happening in the earth. And my concern, let me, let me read this to you just Hope is anchored in the right narrative. It's this simple. Can I get simple? 
Your pastor's gonna be back and he'll get complicated and he'll get deep. I just am gonna be super simple. Hope is anchored to the right narrative. Hopelessness is anchored to the wrong narrative. Let me read this to you. Psalm chapter 33 kind of describes these two narratives. It says this, the Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. Look at this. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He makes the plans of the peoples of no effect. That, go back to that real quick, sorry. That's a narrative. The counsel of the nations, the plans of the people. But then here's the second narrative. The counsel of the Lord stands forever, the plans of his heart to all generations. See, there's two narratives. You get a choice of what you anchor yourself to. And, here, and here's my concern, because do you know that, that unbelief is not a lack of faith? It's faith in the wrong thing. So, in other words, if you grew up Pentecostal, charismatic, which I, I, am, I am Pentecostal, but sometimes faith would have been like, there's a mountain in front of us, and then faith looked like plugging our ears, closing our eyes, and just going, there's no mountain, 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 there's no mountain. And people are like, I'm pretty sure that's a mountain. I'm looking at the mountain. I'm, I'm looking at the mountain. Faith is not ignoring the reality of the mountain. It's recognizing there's a greater reality. Right? So there are things we're facing, but there's a greater reality, and I choose to anchor my life to the greater reality, not the mountain. Are you with me on that? This is when the Bible says that there's no name higher than the name of Jesus. It's talking about this, that there's inflation. That's real. More real in California, but that's real. <laughs> but there's a greater name. And inflation, it's not about inflation, it's about uncertainty. Right? It's not about inflation, it's about the uncertainty of my future. But there's a greater reality. There's a mountain of cancer but there's a greater reality. There's a higher name than the name cancer. There's a higher name than the name war. There's a higher name than, than, than sexual immorality and sin. There's a higher name. There's two narratives. And, and the problem is, is, is when you are more connected to the counsel of the nations and the plans of the people, it will move you to a place of hopelessness. And am, am I allowed to say this real quick? And man, listen, I'm here. I fly home today, so whatever. Listen, <laughs> they're, they're, my concern with, with so many people right now is we are so intent on studying the counsel of nations and the plans of people. And we're gonna listen to every podcast on it, and we're gonna watch every news station about it, and we're gonna read every article about it. We saturate ourselves with the Council of Nations and the plans of the people because we're so worried about them, because we actually believe that they're stronger than God. When we don't actually recognize this, that, it's the, that God brings the Council of the Nations to nothing. He brings the plans of the people of no effect. And then he says this, you wanna know what council's gonna stay? You wanna know what council's gonna last? You know what plans are gonna go generation to generation? God's council and the plans that are on God's heart. And we need to be a people that stop giving ourselves to studying the council of nations and begin to study. Listen, if you're in a place of hopelessness, and I mean this, you need to disconnect from certain things 
and just go get with God and find out what his plans are and find out what his counsel is and get connected to his narrative. Because what begins to happen is, is we begin to believe that those two verses, we, believe, we begin to believe that verse 10 and verse 11 have created an irresistible force paradox. Do you know what an irresistible force paradox is? It's a paradox that states what happens when an, when an unstoppable force meets an immovable object. It's a paradox. And so what we imagine is this. We imagine verse 10 is an unstoppable force and verse 11 is an immovable object and we begin to approach the world as if it's an, it, there's a paradox going on. There is no paradox. God's plans are greater. God's counsel is what will remain and last. See, I, I, I've raised teenagers in this time. I've got kids in my home, and it can get so overwhelming sometimes. When I look out at the sin, when I look out at the state of the world, when I look at us calling evil good and good evil, when I begin to look, it can become overwhelming, but I refuse to believe. I refuse to believe that the spirit of this age is stronger than the spirit of God. And I refuse to live like that. And I get in prayer over my kids. And I just declare over my children, the spirit of God, which is in pursuit of their hearts, is stronger than the spirit of this age. That there may be two spirits after my children, but the spirit of God is stronger and greater. The name of Jesus is stronger than any force in this world that wants the attention of my kids. And I refuse to live somehow as if the spirit of this age is stronger than the spirit of our God. But when you, when you digest all day long the spirit of this age, because you don't want to be naive or because you're concerned about this or concerned about this, listen to me right now. You can get to a place of hopelessness and unbelief. I, I want to be more connected to the narrative of God. I want to be more connected to the plan of God. I want to be more connected to the spirit of God. And I will not allow disruption because of a lack of clarity get me to that place of hopelessness and unbelief. Some of you need to begin to declare this over your own children. Just get up in your prayer closet over them and just begin to declare this thing. God, I believe that your spirit is in pursuit of the hearts of my kids. And whatever else is in pursuit of them is not as strong as the spirit of God. See, what we don't even realize is this. I mean, the amazing thing is that this is when God shows up. See, we get so discouraged. I mean, I'm in California. It feels like California's lost its mind. <laughs> and I just think, God, this is when you show up. Yeah. If I study history, 
If I study the Bible and if I study history, if I know the narrative of God, the Jesus people movement came against a backdrop of sexual confusion and sexual morality and rebellion and civil unrest. It all happened in that moment. And one of the greatest harvests we've seen in America happened. I'm saying I believe another Jesus people movement is coming because this is what God does. This is his narrative. And can I tell you this? We need to stop giving things credit we give things way too much credit. Who gets in what position politically and what this and what that, we give it so much credit. I'm not saying it's not important, but listen, I, I had a, um, <laughs> I, I remember, um, I, I had a decision to make around whether I was gonna move. Um, I, you know, I'm in my 20, I was in my 20s, passionate about God. I got a call of God on my life. I got a destiny. I want to change the world. And, the, and, and this big ministry invited me to come be a part of their ministry. I was on staff at Bethel. And so I was really wrestling with, God, I don't want to make the wrong decision. So I'm in, we're in Orange County on vacation at Disneyland. And I get up one morning, Orange, California. I'm walking around the streets of Orange, California, just praying stressed. Do you ever just pray stressed? Just praying stressed. I don't want to make a wrong decision because I don't want to mess up the plans that God has for me. And I'm walking around, and I'll never forget this. It's uh, 20 years ago, and the Lord just stops me in my tracks. It says, Banny, you are giving yourself way too much credit. <laughs> and I said, what do you mean? He goes, you think that one choice you're going to make is going to stop the plan of God? He goes, you're not that big. You're giving yourself way too much credit. I think we need to take a step back sometimes and just apply that to a lot of stuff. It's not that big. We're giving it way too much credit. I'm gonna tell you right now, there's no virus, there's no political party, there's no sin that's gonna stop the plan of God for this nation that's gonna slow down or hinder what God wants to do in your life. God's plans are what are going to be established, and there's nothing that's going to stop them or hinder them, and we got to get to a place of faith around this thing. Third thing is this, and I'll be done. In the midst of disruption, God wants to give you clarity around his storyline, because when I get clarity around his storyline, when I get that Acts 8-1 is connected to Acts 1-8, it brings me to a place of hope, which is the, the enemy's after your hope. And I get to that place of hope. Even when, I see, even when I see all that's happening in the world, I just go, this is when God shows up. This is when the awakenings happen. This is when outpourings happen. This is when, right? And so I get to a place of hope. But here's what I believe he's doing as well. God is inviting you to know him. You're not gonna get through disruption without a deep sense of intimacy with the Lord and knowing him. Can I tell you this right now? Disruption will take you out unless you know God. This is what Daniel says. Those who know God will be strong. There's a confidence that comes when you know God. When I know his storyline, when I know his nature, when I know his character, when I know how he works in his ways, David would say, teach me your ways. God, I want to know you. There's a confidence that comes when I know God. This is a moment to draw close to God and just say, God, I got to know you. 
I need to know how you work. I need to know your ways. I need to know your nature. I need to know your character. I need to know you as a father. I need to know. I have a, uh, one of the ways that my dad and I connected when I was in middle school was we would watch WWE together. <laughs> this is my middle school memories with my dad. We'd watch it on Saturday nights and then we went and saw a few of them live. Royal Rumble match and some, some things. So, so WWE, and if, you've never, and if you've never seen WWE, WWE is like a soap opera for men. Like that's just, it's a soap opera, like it's a soap opera for men. And so WWE has storylines and they're the same every time. Every single time, it's the exact same storyline, every time. And there's always the guy that you love, for me was the ultimate warrior, there's always the guy that you love, and then there's a guy that they get you to hate, the villain. And then they're building up the storyline, and they're having moments and encounters, and they're building the storyline up until it's going to lead to this one match at WrestleMania pay-per-view that we're going to watch. Every single time. I've seen the story a hundred times. So, so if I go to this match, and I know the storyline, and I bring a friend with me, but he doesn't know, he doesn't know the storyline. He hasn't watched WWE. He's new to it all. And he's sitting there with me. We're going to experience this differently. I know the storyline. I know how this works. He doesn't. And this is how it works. They're going to get out and fight. And they're going to wrestle for a while. It's going to go back and forth. And then all of a sudden, the villain's going to start winning. And it's looking bleak. And he's going to take our guy out. He's going to start beating him up until finally he does one blow that just lays him out. Every single time. <laughs> but he doesn't pin him. He just starts gloating to the crowd. Just starts, let, just starts gloating to the crowd. Now, now I'm, I'm, I'm calm. I'm confident. I've seen this story. I'm not confused by this moment. The guy with me, stressed out of his mind. He's like, this isn't good at all. This is bad. Our guy just got beat up. He's laying there lifeless. He's dead, I think. And I'm like, oh, no, no, no. Just get, watch this. What do you mean, watch this? He's dead. What do you mean, watch this? I'm like, oh, you've never seen this story, have you? Just, just, this is the best part, actually. This is the best part. What do you mean, this is the best part? Just, just watch. And every time. Guy's laying there on the ground, lifeless, and he just starts twitching just a little bit. <laughs> you know, the other guy's gloating, and he just starts twitching, and the whole arena sees it. And we're like, oh, it's just this buildup that starts happening in the arena. If you've ever been to one, it's just this buildup. And the guard starts twitching, and I'm like, just watch this. Get ready. Just, just watch this. And then all of a sudden, the other guy, the villain doesn't see him yet, and he gets up on one knee. Super dramatic. And the place just starts, the, just the buildup begins to happen until finally he just stands up and the place starts going crazy. The, and, and I'm telling him like, the match is over now. It's over, it's over. And then the bad guy turns around, sees him, big eyes. Our guy goes, knocks him out, pins him, match is over, place erupts. It's the same story every time. <laughs> but if you don't know the storyline, if you don't know how God works, if you don't know his nature, if you don't know his character, then when disruption comes, 
You better know God. You better know because, because those that know the story, those that know who God is, those that know his nature and character, they can be standing in ashes with everything burned down around them. And they will say, this is when beauty is about to come because God brings beauty out of ashes. That when I know my God, it means that I can be weeping through the night season. I can be crying through the dark hours. And yet I know this, that when the sun comes up, joy is about to come in the morning. That on the dawn will come joy. I know the storyline. That I may be experiencing a season of weeping, but I know God and I know the storyline and joy is about to come in the morning. I know that when there's a spirit of heaviness, he's about to give me a garment of praise. I know that when I am weak, that's when his power and his strength is about to manifest in my life. This is what we know. Guys, this is why in America and in California, I know the storyline of God. I know how he works. I know who he, how he is. And disruption doesn't lead me to confusion and hopelessness and unbelief. But disruption, because I have clarity, I understand that this is under something, that God's about to do something, and I'm gonna double down on this thing of faith and resolve, because I know this. Those that know God can confidently stand in this, that where sin abounds, that I can look all around the nation right now and I can say, I, sin is abounding. Deep darkness is covering the earth. But I've read the book and I know his nature and I know his character and I know how he moves and this is what excites me. This is where hope is born. This is where faith is ignited. Is that where sin abounds. I know the storyline. Grace abounds even more. Grace is about to show up on the scene in power. The deep darkness may be covering the earth, but the glory of the Lord is about to rise on his people. That the glory of the Lord is about to be poured out. We're about to see a harvest of unprecedented measure. Because I know who he is, and I'm not just talking about in the earth, I'm talking about in your own personal life. Say, God, I've experienced loss, but I know your nature and character. You're the one who redeems. You're the one who restores. You're the protector and you're the provider. And I refuse to anchor myself to the economy of this world. I refuse to anchor myself to the narrative of this world. This world may be shaky. This world may be uncertain. There may be a crash, there may be all that stuff, but I'm not anchored to this world. I'm not anchored to the narrative of this world. I'm an anchor to what the Bible says is a kingdom that is unshakable. I know the narrative that God's never left the righteous to beg for bread. This is what we know, I know him as a father. Guys, disruption. Disruption, whether it's in the world or in your own life, it's going to lead to one of two areas. It's either going to take you out and lead you to a place of hopelessness and unbelief, or it's going to bring greater clarity that leads you to a place of deeper faith.
greater resolve. And I'm praying for a church that gets deeper faith and greater resolve. I'm praying for a church that believes God, that he's about to show up in power, that our kids are going to be saved, that prodigals are going to come home, that he's going to pour out his spirit, that we're going to see one of the greatest harvests ever. That the world may be shaky, but God is not shaky. His plans will last. Why don't you stand up? Some of you in this room, listen, my, my goal is to come. I, I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you. Some of you in this room, you need to repent of the hopelessness and unbelief that you've allowed yourself to embrace. Some of you need to repent of what you've been digesting that's led you to that place. And just make this commitment today. God, I want to know you. I want to know your storyline. I want to know your narrative. I want to know what you're doing. I want to be more familiar with the counsel of God and the plans that are on his heart. May I never be somebody who knows the counsel of the nations and the plans of the people more than I know the counsel of God and his plans. God, that although we may be in an Acts 8-1 moment, I believe that it's leading to revival in Samaria. There may have been disruption in Jerusalem, but revival's coming to Samaria. And we're going to see the plan of God released in the earth. And it's going to be released in my own life. Let's take a moment before the Lord. I'm going to turn this over, but God, we just pray. Even as we leave this place today, God, that you would ignite a greater faith in our hearts. Those of you in this room, as I'm talking about the pilot light of hope, you just say, I think I've lost hope. I've lost hope. Today, God wants to ignite hope again in your life. God wants to ignite hope that when you look at the future of your finances, you have confident expectation of good. When you look at the future of your family and relationships, when you look at the future of this nation and your city, that you would have great expectation for good. That God would ignite hope. Father, I pray all across this room that you would ignite the pilot light of hope in our life. That faith can grow.